Hello, hello. Morning. Thank you. Somebody's awake. All right, so if you have your Bibles, let's get over to, to Jonah again. We'll start in verse 11. Verse 11. Then they said to him, these are the sailors, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the, the men rode hard and to, to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea had grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done uh, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall not look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and, and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fast, fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pray regard in vain, uh, in, to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jomina out upon the dry land. This is the word of God, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We're so grateful to be here this morning. You woke us all up. We thank you that you've given us a brand new day. You tell us in Matthew 6 to not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems, and so we're just going to enjoy today. We're just going to enjoy this moment right now that you've sovereignly orchestrated for us to be together. From the beginning of time, you knew that we were going to be together today. So we worship you. We thank you. We are so grateful to be alive. We're so grateful to be in this country where we get to worship openly, that we had a meal and food and, and wonderful conversation this morning. And so we praise you. We thank you. You are good. You are good, God. You love your people, and we're grateful this morning. Pray through the reading of your word that we would grow and learn what it is that you are trying through your spirit to direct and convict us in what to do. 
We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, everybody said amen. amen. So um, I'm about to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a story. But as I tell you this story, here's the thing. Uh, it's probably not like any other story that you've experienced. And I, I did something that probably none of you have done. Okay. And so as I tell you this story, I need you to not to judge me. You promise you won't judge me. That didn't sound... I really, I'm telling you, this story is a little crazy, so I need you to not judge me as I talk about uh, this particular story. Will you promise you won't judge me? But how do I know you won't judge me? Like, I can't get inside of your brains and go like, you know, I don't know. Like, so how can I know, how can I be assured that you won't judge me as I tell you this very crazy thing that I did that I don't know if anyone of you ever done? How can you give me some assurance that, that you won't judge me? Anybody? No? Okay. So here's the thing. Um, I, uh, I, 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 uh, how many of you have ever kicked a duck? Like, I kicked this duck. I kicked a duck really, really hard. How many of you have ever kicked a duck? Like, really, really hard. You've never kicked a duck? Homeboy was like, nah, no, you didn't kick a duck. Don't play in my story. So, so here's what's happening. I'm walking with my family. We're having a great Sunday. Every Sunday, we would go to the park. This is when um, I had just had two boys at that time. And we would go to the park every Sunday after church and just hang out. So we're, we're going to the park. We're having a walk. And then all of a sudden, I hear my wife out of nowhere yell, Jeff, rescue that duck. That other duck is pecking the other duck. And I was like, what, huh? So she was like yelling and screaming because what was happening is these, these two ducks we're picking on this one duck. Now, my wife loves animals. How many of you love animals? Like, you are animal people. Okay, my wife, I think my wife likes animals more than she likes people, okay? Like, she loves animals. And so she was watching this ducky injustice that was happening as these two ducks were pecking on this one duck. And she thought, you know who could do something about that? My husband. My husband's going to do something about that. So, of course, I'm trying to be a good husband. So I turn around, and sure enough, these two bully ducks are picking on the one duck, okay? And I start getting a little, like, wound up, like, okay, that's not cool. So when I went up, like, and I'm a giant compared to a duck. Would you agree with that? Like, I'm a giant compared to a duck. So I went up to these ducks, and I was like, yo, cut it out, like that. Like, you know, huh, get out of here, you know, kind of thing. And I'm not even kidding you. This, these ducks, they looked me square in my eyes, and then they pecked that duck right on the head. They just dissed me. I got dissed by a duck. Have you ever been dissed by a duck? It's not cool. I'm telling you. This, this duck, these two ducks, they were diss, dissing me, and then they pecked that other duck on the head. Now I'm feeling insulted because I cannot believe that I was dissed by a duck, and I'm starting to get rageful, and, and because my wife, you know, she's over here going, why aren't you doing anything? I'm like, I'm trying. They dissed me, okay? So I run, I, I, I'm like, I go over, and I go, hey, and I give a little tap on a duck, right? And they like, you know, scooted it away like this, and I was like, okay, cool. They went back, and they pecked that duck on the head. <gasps> oh, how dare you? How dare you? And I'm starting to like get like, you know, this right here because I'm like, I feel so insulted. Do you not know I'm a giant? You're a stupid duck, right? And I'm feeling really overwhelmed and really raged that I just got dissed by this duck, right? And so I said, cut it out. And I went like this. They pecked the duck on the head and I was like, no. And so I ran up and in slow motion, if I could tell you, I kicked this duck so hard and I could feel its ducky body wrap around my foot 
And I was like, yeah! Like, I, can you see it all in slow motion? And this duck's like, oh, snap, right? It's like in the air, right? He just realized, and I'm like, ah! Right? And he hits the ground, bail rolls, and then takes off. And his other ducky buddy looks at me. I'm like, you want some? Right? I didn't say that. But, you know, in my mind, I did that. And he was like, peace out, because he was like, this dude's crazy. So I'm like, in this park, like, reveling in all my glory that I kicked this duck. Look at me! I see. My wife's like, you are insane. Right? I was so proud of myself that I interfered. There was a ducky injustice that was happening, and I intervened, and I took care of it, and I was so proud of myself that I did it. How weird, right? How bizarre. What a weird story, right? I felt so good that I had done something, but isn't it interesting that God used me to care for this duck? Like, that's so weird, right? That doesn't make any sense. How weird, how bizarre that God appoints a fish to rescue Jonah. How bizarre is that? How good is that? Our minds should be exploding because we limit God. We think that God only works a certain way. We like to keep him in this rocking chair, this proverbial rocking chair in the sky where he only intervenes when we believe he, believe, he, he intervenes, we tend to have this very agnostic view of him. That he's just up there in this rocking chair going like, looking at all of, of all of creation and going, well, we'll see how this works out. I did my job. I created everything. And so I'm just going to kind of step back and see how this all works out. And that's not how it works. And you don't have God figured out. You don't have God figured out because the deeper you grow in your relationship with the Lord, the more you will know that you do not know. That you do not know, but what you, will, what you do know will propel you to worship him, to realize he is a mysterious God that is above all of creation, that he commands the water and he commands his creation to interact and work together for his glory. Like Paul Paul in Romans is unpacking all the theology that we have today. The foundations. Romans is a foundational book of the theology in which we base our faith. And Paul's like unpacking all of this deep, deep theology. And in Romans 11, it's almost like an emergency break goes on and he starts worshiping God. And this is what he says. Oh, Paul doesn't do this. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judge, uh, his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. What Paul is doing is he's starting to unpack all of this theology, all this understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done. And in Romans 11, he's like, even as he's he's like, I don't understand. You're so high above. You're so high and lifted up. I I can't possibly comprehend all that you have for me. And as Jonah sits in the belly of this whale, he starts to realize that he is not in control. 
And that what he assumed or presumed upon God is false. And God is doing a work in Jonah's life. As he's doing a work in the fish's life. As he's doing a work in the water's life. As he's doing a work in all of our lives. He's inviting us all in. It's one huge picture of his divine sovereign plan being laid out and rolled out for you and I. And what it's trying to do is get our attention. It's trying to waken us up to the realities of how God does things, how God works. So what's happening in this scenario? In this particular story, Jonah runs away. God meets him in the, in the, uh, in the water, in his rebellion, causes a storm. What's happening is this is Jonah's will versus God's will. And I just want to know, God always wins, always does. Like Jonah thinks like, I'm running away from God. And God's like, this is just a part of the plan. I'm going to meet you in your rebellion and I'm going to use it for my glory. It's what he does. When I was a kid, I remember driving to Chicago for the first time. Anybody here been to Chicago? Any of you been to Chicago? Okay. Have you, if, and there's this drive from Ohio, because that's where I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Ohio. And so there's this part, I mean, you're on the Dan Ryan and you're driving into Chicago. And all I'd ever wanted to see was the Sears Tower. That's all I wanted to see, right? I read books about it and, and I just wanted to see it. So you're driving on the Dan Ryan into Chicago and all of a sudden the cityscape just comes into view. And so I did what kids do. I went like this. Beep. How many of you have done that? Right? And, and you go like this and you hold it out. And I was like, wow. And can I just tell you for a minute, I felt so powerful. Right? You know that when you're a kid, you know, you like hold the moon in your fingers and you're like, hey, check that out. Right? You feel pretty good about yourself. Right? And then I realized we're getting closer and closer. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, maybe I'm not as that much in power, but that's okay. I can still hold it. Right? And then we drive all the way down to Wells Avenue and we get out of the car and I cross over the river and we walk in front of the Sears Tower and I go, you bend all the way back and it was magnificent it was squashing me in its grandeur this is jonah in the belly of the whale the grandeur of all that god is doing the work of what the lord is doing in his life and he's overwhelmed this is what the imagination i'm trying to help you expand here what jonah is being expanded is how magnificent, how wonderful, how holy, how mighty, how sovereign God is. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is what Jonah's being invited into. I love this passage. It's my favorite passage in scripture. It's Ecclesiastes 7.13. It says this, watch the way that God works and fall in line. Don't fight the ways of God. For who can make straight what God has made crooked. You'll have plans in your life. You'll have ideas in your life. And God is so magnificent and so overwhelming. The moment you start trying to constrain him to your infantile human brain, which by the way is a gift and he made it, but the moment you try to use that to try to outthink God is where you get into deep, deep sin and deep, deep rebellion, which is what is happening in Jonah's life. And God's like, I'm doing a crooked path kind of thing here. I'm trying to bend the mind of your imagination of what you think and your predictability. We're up into the right linear lines is the way we think. And he's like, I'm mysterious. 
Your thoughts about me don't constrain me. I created the very mechanism that allows for those thoughts to be developed. And I want to blow your mind if you'll allow me. I want to blow your mind. I want to expand your worship. I want to expand your reverence of me. And he will do anything necessary to wake us up. That's what's happening to Jonah. Jonah is being awoken because what got Jonah there is a tragic thing that gets a lot of people there. You know, this is a part of a passage that that people don't necessarily want to deal with. There's a reoccurring theme in the book of Jonah that nobody really talks about. And the reoccurring theme in Jonah is this, that a lot of times as we read this story, we see Jonah's act of throw me in the water as kind of this righteous act as if he's sparing the lives of these ship these people on the ship he could have done that a thousand different ways what jonah is saying to these men is kill me i want to end my life and i want you to be a part of it that's why the men are are like god are you going to judge us for this jonah's saying i want to be dead i want to be gone this gets repeated in this book, in 2.13, he says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will be quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this greatest tempest has come upon you and my life. In 4.3, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, therefore, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 4.8b says, and he asked that he might die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. He wants to die rather than live. And this is a very relevant topic, wouldn't you agree, in this time and age. Do you know that suicide is the second greatest killer among people from 10 to 24? Mental health right now, medications, is at the all-time high. They've never seen numbers like this. There's so many kids and so many students and so many adults who want to be done with this life. They want to be over with it. This is why you're being invited into this story. Because for some of you, that's a real thing. The loneliness, the hurt, the pain, the despair, the reality when something bad happens and you feel like God isn't watching or over it, leave you in deep, dark despair. And Satan is propagating a, a lie to you. And he's saying like this, see, you don't matter. See, your life isn't worth it. It would be better, this world would be better without you. And here's what I want to invite you into, what Jonah's being invited into, what his chin is getting up as in the plain view of who God is. God has you alive for a purpose. And you are not to be gone. He will choose the day in which he has you come home to him with you as if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He chooses that day. He's in control. He knows. And he has a purpose for you right now. He woke you up this morning because you matter. He brought you to this camp before because you, you matter. Think of all he had to orchestrate to get you here. 
Think about even before this time, this used to be just land with trees and then they cleared it out and they put some buildings on it and then they decided someday to have it be a camp and then that camp got bought over by another camp and now we have Hume Lake, New England, a camp that actually was in California that came all the way out. Think all that he had to orchestrate for you to be here right now, to hear the word of God, to awaken yourself to the mystery of all that he is that you matter and that he loves you and he has a plan for you and he has a purpose for you. You matter to the heart of God. Jonah mattered to the heart of God. So what happens with Jonah? How does he get so far the other way? There was a moment in Jonah's life where he's standing before the people, prophesying, calling them to the heart of God and now he's like, kill me. What has happened to him? He's forgotten that he is not in control. This is what he's forgotten. That he's not in control. He does not command the water. He does not command the fish. He's forgotten that God does those things. And God saves, that God saved the people in the boat and that he's going to save Nineveh. Like he's forgotten his purpose. Jonah's forgotten his purpose, the purpose in which God placed him on this earth. I think for so many of you, for, for me, we forget our purpose. That's a question that a lot of you are asking. What is my purpose here on this earth? Allow the Spirit of God to awaken you. Allow for him to take you on a journey where you discover who you are for his glory and his honor. But Jonah is only focused in on himself. And so, of course, he goes into despair. You know the interesting thing, the only question that he didn't answer from the sailors was about his occupation. He told them who he was. He told them who he served. They say, what's your occupation? And he didn't say, I'm a prophet. Why? Because he lost his purpose. He forgot who he was called to be and what he was called to do. And as a result of this, he got soul sick. And I want you to hear that term. It's an important term. Soul sick. His soul was sick. And when you get soul sick, you get into despair. And what despair does is it crushes hope. And despair leads you to do things that are painful and hurtful. Satan loves despair. He propagates despair. And when you agree in our culture, that is a pervading message that is happening. Despair, 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 despair. Why? Because he wants you dead. He wants you to think that you're in control. He wants you to think that you are the giver and taker of life. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to go so deep and so low that you go, I need to end this whole thing. Where the God of the universe is saying, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know every hair on your head. And when I choose for you to go, you will go. But for right now, you're alive. And Satan has been propagating this lie from the very beginning of time. Do not buy into it. And Jonas bought into it. Toss me overboard. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm all done. And he forgets. He loses focus. I want you to grab onto this. What you focus on, you will follow. What you focus on, you will follow. And if you follow the ways of this world, if you focus on the ways of this world, you will follow the world. I promise you. 
If you focus on despair, you will follow despair. But if you focus on the Lord, what he's inviting you into, you will find life and life to the full. And Jonas missed this. And I get this, right? You know, like, I hope you know, like, as, as <laughs> this is so much my story. You know, when my son was eight, he got diagnosed with leukemia. You're like, really? Man, two cancer things. Diagnosed with leukemia. He, I've lived through my cr- Christian life my whole life. I followed the Lord. I've been a pastor for 23 years. I started an organization to unite the church for the glory of God. And here I sit in a hospital room where they got all kinds of wires and stuff hooked up to my kid. And I'm like, what? This was not the deal. You ever felt that way? God, what the heck? You ever felt that way? What is going on? Some of you have gone through divorce. Some of you have gone through deep pain, deep loss. And you're like, what is going on? But here's what we end up doing. We end up focusing on that pain. We feel that despair. We get overwhelmed. We lose our purpose. We forget that about control, right? We get soul sick. But here's what the Lord did for me in that hospital room. Through a moment my son had to me. He says, Dad, God and I are going to beat this. My eight-year-old son with a bald little head getting poison pumped into his body reminds me that God is near to the brokenhearted, that he joins us in our suffering. He is not far away from you. He is near. And so what did it allow me to do in the belly of that despair is I found the presence of God and the purpose of God in my life. And what happens with so many of us is we become selfish sufferers. And what we're being invited into is the mysterious plan in which God says, I use even the hard in your life to bring me glory. What Satan intends for evil, God makes good, Joseph says to his brothers. Even though we don't understand the path that we're on, God makes good. Because in the belly of that well, Jonah could finally identify with his depravity, which means this. He could finally identify with the ones that God had called him to go minister to. He saw his own sin. He saw his own depravity. He saw his own decrepit nature. And so he was able to have a heart for those he was called to. He was able to see his own sin in the belly of the whale. Jonah was able to identify the sovereignty of God that would not allow him to take his life on his terms. No, because God rescued him, not because he deserved it, but because it was a part of God's plan, that even in his sin, that God was making things new, that God was going to do something miraculous through Jonah's life. And in the belly of the whale, he identified with the purpose of God, and in the belly of the whale, he finally worships. He repents, and he worships. In fact, they say that This particular prayer that that Jonah prays, he pulls from the Psalms, which Jonah would have known. He pulls from the Psalms. Like Psalms 42, where, where the psalmist, the son of Korah, says, all your waves, all your breakers, all your waves crash over me. Where Psalms 42 goes, why so downcast, oh my soul? What? Put your hope in God. 
My soul will once again praise him, my God and my maker. You hear the Psalms being integrated in his soul and coming out with the declaration that, God, I thought I had you figured out and I don't. I didn't want you to rescue those people because they were filthy, rotten sinners. I'm a filthy, rotten sinner in need of your grace and your mercy that has extended to me in this moment. And here's what Jonah's learning and we need to learn. Weakness is a weapon. Weakness is a weapon. You've been taught for most of your life that you need to be up in the right, climbing some utilitarian ladder, and that when you get there, God all of a sudden goes, that's a good boy and that's a good girl. That's counterintuitive to the gospel. The gospel says you don't get to earn any of that. What you'd get to do is be weak. And when you decide to be weak, what happens? You're strong. It's uh, William, or uh, one of my favorite books is a book called Abiding Christ. And he has a quote in there and he says this, Abiding in Christ, union with Christ, is meant for the weak and feeble and is so rightly suited for them. It's not the bringing of something strong before a mighty God, but simply submitting one's weakness to the one who's strong. Because who gets the glory? God gets the glory in our weakness. And in this moment of repentance, in this moment of understanding his mission and understanding who God is, God causes the whale, the fish, to vomit him on the shore. That is an act of mercy. That is an act of I'm not done with you yet. That is, an act, that is a commission. That is a go. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's what that is. You get it now. Go. Go. But go with the heart that you learned in the belly. Go with the heart that you learned when you were in despair and you now found hope and purpose. Go with that commission. Go with that mind. So I leave the hospital room where they diagnose me with polycythemia. I'm overwhelmed at the idea that there's been something that's been eroding my life physically and I can't figure it out and I don't know what to do. And so I go to my front porch, which is where it's my sanctuary. It's the place that God meets me. And I say, God, I don't know what to do here. And I, and I said something I haven't said. I need help. I need help. And I realized for the majority of my life, I've been doing it all on my own. When I was 12 years old, my mom left my dad. We lived in a Christian family. My mom just left my dad. She left our family. I, I came home from school. All of her stuff's gone. She just left with this man. that She was a family friend of ours. I had two sisters, and so I just became mom. And I washed, and I cooked, and I cleaned, and I helped my dad with my sisters and tried to do life. I got married at 21, had a baby at 22. I started ministry, and I just put my head down. The first year of Patty and I's marriage, her, her family, her, her dad came to let us know that he, he's been a serial adulterer her whole life. And so my wife went into the deep, dark dis depression, which we didn't know what depression was. And I just kept going. It's okay. It's okay. It's fine. Everything will work out. It's okay. God's good. He knows. He's in control. I just keep going and going and going and going. 
We moved from Chicago down to Illinois. I start, or down to Arizona. I start planting a church, and, and then I start, and then I end up getting hired at this really big church, and I, I get this huge platform, and I get to preach around the world. And I'm thinking, like, that'll fill me up. See, I'm, I'm finally doing it. I'm finally being everything that God wants me to be. And then I, I leave that church. I start this organization uh, called Phoenix One, and then my son gets sick with cancer. And I'm like, what the heck? By the way, he's fine. Praise be to God. Right? And so I do that. That organization shuts down. I have to go work for corporate America for a couple years. I just feel lost. I ended up going back, going back to church five years ago to be a pastor at a church in California. Our first month in California, my wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer. Just in case you're keeping tracking, that's three out of five gokies, or three out of five gokies with cancer. Right, but I just keep going. I just keep moving. I keep jamming. Everything will be fine. It'll all work out. God's in control. And I had never stopped to realize I need help. I'm in a bad spot and I've never reached out to the very God that I say I serve. I could preach this stuff, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't impact me. He's not calling me to my knees in repentance. So God met me through this doctor. God met me through this disease. And as I sat on my front porch, I had to deal with the fact that I've been running from God my whole life when I thought I was running after him. I loved the Lord. But I was running away from him, not running to him, not being broken, not being weak, not asking God, I need help. So in that time, I learned to say, I need help. And it was a three-week period. I had to take this really intensive blood test to see how bad. So basically, the diagnosis is I'm... Dead in 18 months or three years. So I take this big blood test, and on December 31st, 2019, just as we're transitioning into 2020, I sit in the doctor's office across from the chair. He runs over the blood work, and he says, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's completely gone. And my wife, we know blood cancer very well because our son had blood cancer, and so we know all the numbers. And he put his hand on my wife's knee and he said, I don't get to say this to people very often. Go home. Everything's okay. He's healthy. (laughs) Do you know how frustrating that was for me? It took cancer for me to awaken myself that I had a problem. You see what I'm saying? I'm standing, I'm standing before you today to tell you that you need God and that he is in control and he's m- moving in mysterious ways. Don't be so bullheaded like me. You don't need a terrible disease to wake you up to the reality that he is in control. And that he loves you and he sees you and he knows you and you are here for a purpose. I stand before you today because God's not done with me yet. God's not done with me yet and he's not done with you yet and he wasn't done with Jonah yet. Jonah tried to end his life and God's like, no, 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 I'm not done yet. And for some of you, maybe you just need to hear that today. Maybe you would need to hear that word. Maybe the spirit of God right now in your soul is just stirring something up inside of you. So much despair that you had. You're so focused in on yourself that you can't see him. And he's awakening your spirit. 
He's awakening you to his truth for his glory. But you get to benefit from that. Jonah gets to benefit from the glory of God. Wake up from your sleep. Ephesians says, wake up, O sleeper. Wake up. Wake up. And live in the light and the truth that God is in control and you are not. And he is not done using each and every one of you for his glory and his honor. Because if he was, you'd be home at sleep with him. In your rest, your eternal rest with him. But you're not. You're here. This is the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is our story. And it's awakening our hearts. May God continue to convict you today. And the other thing I would say is this. Today, if you've been somebody that's been in that level of despair to where you're like, I've thought about kind of being done with this life, go talk to somebody. Just confess that. Confess that out to somebody. Maybe you're just like me. Maybe you need to go to somebody today and just go, I need help. I need help. I need to talk to somebody about a hurt or a wound or something that's happened to me because I don't want to be like Jonah. Right? I want to live in the light and the wonder of the glory of what it is to be alive and live out my purpose here on this earth. Okay? Let me pray for you. God, we love you and we thank you once again. Oh, man, this truth is a heavy truth. It's a hard truth. I'm just blown away by your love. I'm blown away by your love and your purpose for us. That even when we run away, you don't abandon us. <laughs> even when we're in despair, you remind us of hope. You remind us of purpose. How good and glorious you are. How wonderful and kind. I pray through the reading of our word today, and through worship and just coming together as a community, God, that you would use that for your glory, that many would see you clearly today as we walk outside these doors and we see the beautiful landscape that you've created for your glory and for our benefit, that it would remind us that we are not alone and that we are loved. We thank you, give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.